Cape Town in South Africa may be the first city in the modern world to completely run out of water if you go by recent news. There is severe water rationing across the city affecting all of its residents. Even the visiting Indian cricket team were told to limit their post-game showers to 2 minutes each. In the wake of Cape Town having a water crisis, the BBC published a list of 11 cities that could suffer the same fate as Cape Town. Bangalore is second on this list. Can cities really run out of water? And when governments cannot agree on how to share it, should courts intervene? Welcome to the Pragati podcast. We're your hosts Hamsini Hariharan and Pavan Srinath. Joining us today to discuss water, Bangalore and the Kaveri crisis is our colleague Nitin Pai, director and co-founder of the Takshashila Institution. Nitin, welcome to the show. Hi Hamsini, hi Pavan. The city of Bangalore houses 11 to 12 million people today and is rapidly growing. Bangalore is also infamous for having the most expensive water in all of Asia. Most cities are situated downstream of their water sources and gravity usually does the work of getting water to the city. Bangalore however is about a 500 meters higher than its water source the river Kaveri and about a 90 or so kilometers away. Historically Bangalore was fed by a system of constructed lakes across the city but now it's almost entirely dependent on the river Kaveri and on groundwater. and the water of the kaveri river is the most highly contested in india there are never ending disputes in the supreme court and the kaveri river water tribunal this brings us to february 16 2018 the supreme court ruled that karnataka will get an additional allocation of about 14.7 tmc feet that's 14.7 thousand million cubic feet this extra water was allocated to Karnataka largely for the purposes of growing Bangalore and its growing drinking water needs. Nitin, can cities really run out of water? Well, no place on earth can run out of water if water is properly priced. This is something like uh, in the mid-80s, there used to be this question, is the world going to run out of oil? And we found, as in the case of oil, that uh, because oil is sold in uh, competitive markets and oil is priced, even if it's subsidized, it's priced, as the price of oil becomes higher and higher there are alternative sources of energy and alternative sources of oil which are found and they come on stream and reduce the prices so there is always this idea that as uh, something becomes more and more expensive marginal sources of that something in this case oil become more attractive and they bring supply onto the system and overall the price gets stabilized so what applies for oil obviously op- applies for water because three quarters of the planet is actually water now uh, it's another thing to say that not all sources of water uh, come to you at the same cost so for example if you have to uh, uh, get water out of a river which is uh, a clean himalayan river the, the the cost is different from having to get it out of the sea and purify it and desalinate it and we make it available for drinking so different sources of water have different costs attached to them as long as we are able to price water that are commensurate with these costs no place on earth will run out of water all right then then talk about water as this thing that can be priced but isn't water somewhat of a public good isn't river a public resource that needs to be managed by the government well so this where does this question of price come in no resource will be sustainable if it is free of charge 
whenever you underprice something, you have overconsumption. So when you underprice it to the level that it, where it's free or nearly free, there are absolutely no no incentives for conservation, for sustainable use, and to prevent people from using good quality uh, river water to wash their cars, to wash their houses, and to wash the streets in front of their houses. So the only way you can inject an element of conservation, the only way you can create incentives for people to use water sustainably is to price it. The question is, uh, the political question really is, how do we get people to pay for water? And how do you more importantly allow uh, water, which is a basic necessity of life, to be available to everybody regardless of whether the person is rich or poor? I think that the political and the economic questions can be solved as long as we come to the realization that if we want to sustain life on this planet, we have to conserve water. And to conserve water, we need a mechanism which takes into account the fact that water has costs and these costs have to be borne equitably by society. Okay, Nathan, how will all of this play out in the Kaveri crisis? Now, the Kaveri crisis is a very good example to understand how this can be done. Now, the current model of allocating water to these different states is based on an entirely arbitrary arrangement, which, depending on where you stand, could have started in the 1890s or in the 1970s or the 1990s or last week. Now, all of these uh, judgments or all of these agreements are a very arbitrary way to divide water in a very static manner. But the way water is used, the way people live around water sources is very dynamic. Since the 1890s, uh, you know, there was no India at that time. Uh, since the 1890s, the life has changed, societies have changed, the kind of people who live on the banks of the river Kaveri have changed, the kind of use they put the water of the river Kaveri have changed, the kind of crops they grow has changed. So everything changes. And as time goes on, the you know dynamics of life, the economy and civilization changes. Yet you have an allocation system which is static, which is, uh, you know, frozen according to 1890, 1970 or last week. Now, what we do when we have an arbitrary system like this is we set up ourselves for perennial, perennial crises, perennial tensions and perennial risk to the livelihoods of the poor farmers who live in the Kaveri Delta. Now, there is another way. The way I would look at it is to use a court judgment to set a baseline for how much water each state is entitled to. It could be, for example, the Supreme Court's judgment of February uh, 2018, which said, said, if all things are okay, this is how much water each of you is entitled to. Now, the question is, what happens when water use patterns change? What happens when there is a drought? What happens when there's an oversupply of water? What happens when people in the Kaveri Delta decide to do something else other than farming a particular kind of crop? Now, these kind of dynamic changes are not captured in the mechanism which the Supreme Court has awarded. So if we move to a system where we say that, look, uh, each of you can use the, uh, you know, on a normal situation, you can use the water as allocated by the Supreme Court. But should you want to use more water, you pay. In our calculations, for example, we said it's about 26 crores per TMC. Each state which draws more water from the river system pays 26 crores per TMC into a common fund called, let's call it the Kaveri Fund. Now, what happens is, if you need more water, you pay. And what if what happens if you conserve water? Let's say there is a state which conserves water and does not use the water. It gets credits of rupees 36 crore per TMC for every uh, drop of water which they save. Now, what happens is now, now there is an incentive for sta states to save water and for, in, for states to be compensated with money in case they, are, they run out of water. Let's say, for example, 
a particular year they run out of water, there isn't enough water to meet their baseline requirements, then the Kaveri Fund compensates the states at the rate of 36 crores per TMC for the amount of water they did not use because there was not enough water in the system. And the states can distribute this money as livelihood support for the farmers whose livelihoods depend on the Kaveri Delta. So in a sense, you're saying that here, forget the citizens and the city of Bangalore and all that for a while. The two sovereign sort of sub-sovereign governments of Karnataka and Tamil Nadu will come into this agreement and they may pay for water. Not just uh, Karnataka and Tamil Nadu, we have Kerala and Puducherry and Andhra as well. So you just take a watershed view, you take the view of a river water system and see which are the states uh, which are uh, dependent on this water system, which are drawing water from this water system uh, at any given point in time. It could be any arbitrary period of time and then bring them into the system and the rule is the same. You draw more water than your quota, you pay 26 crores per TMC. If you save water which is below your quota or you draw less water than your quota, you are credited with 36 crores per TFC. It applies to Karnataka, it applies to Tamil Nadu, it applies to Kerala, Puducherry and uh, Andhra Pradesh if uh, somehow they come into the system. The idea here is fairness. The, the excess charges that you pay and the amount of money which you which are credited when you save is exactly the same for all states. So here basically now the state government as an entity has an incentive to reduce water consumption. Correct. And the state government not only has an incentive to reduce consumption, the state government has resources to compensate farmers or anybody else whose livelihood depends on the river when the river runs out of water or there is a drought or use the uh, compensation to create uh, less water intensive patterns of livelihood, agriculture and so forth. So, Nitin, one of the problems with the conversation so far uh, around the Kaveri crisis about the Supreme Court uh, judgment and everything is actually you know, no one's looking at the entire river basin. People are looking at the water that enters the river from surrounding groundwater, rain, from whatever. And then the real fight is between the water that can be captured in dams and the beneficiaries of that, right? So one is the drinking water res- uh, residents of Bangalore who get drinking water. The others are farmers in Mandya and a few other catchments fighting against those farmers in Tamil Nadu in a sense. The rest of the people who might be using uh, groundwater from the basin and other things are completely left out of this equation right now. Even this TMC feed 475, all these numbers, we are talking about the flow of water in the river itself, right? So, so you're saying we need some sort of a river basin authority of some kind who can do this? Yeah, I think you will need to have a river basin authority which has the union government and the concerned state governments as equal members. Basically to ensure that you, 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 know, you steward the water system, river water system as a natural resource and ensure that the river water system uh, continues to be with us and sustains lives and livelihoods in the, in the area around it. So obviously grain, uh, right now there is rampant uh, groundwater tapping. And because groundwater tapping is very, very cheap, it makes water at 0.05 uh, rupees per liter because even electricity is free. So literally you can take a pump and install it anywhere and draw water out of it with using subsidized electricity, which means there we lack any kind of a coherent way to manage the water resource that we have. And this is not a Karnataka issue or a Tamil Nadu issue. It is an ecosystem issue. And if we as people of India want this resource to continue to uh, underpin the prosperity of southern Indian uh, states, we need to find a way to ensure that this resource is managed sustainably. And there is an overall governance framework which allows this river to continue to flourish and uh, underpin our prosperity. Okay. So tell us a little more about how these payments are made, where will the money come from and so on. 
You know, the good thing about uh, the model which I was talking about, it is self-sustaining. Because if you adjust the excess charges and the credits that you pay for water saving, if you, you calculate those numbers properly, it is possible to make this very sustainable. For example, we've calculated that uh, you can make a Kaveri River fund sustainable and get this model off the ground with as little as rupees 21,000 crores. Now, 21,000 crores appears to be a big number, but it's actually a fraction of what southern Indian states pay for their agriculture. So it's not something which is not affordable. Uh, and even if you want to take it to a full-blown kind of a situation where you need about 68,000 crores, uh, between the union government and the concerned state governments of four South Indian states, it's very easily doable. So the money is not a problem. Uh, in fact, what happens is uh, if we do this properly, in other words, if the calculations are done properly and the uh, buying and the selling system is done properly between the states, this fund can actually grow in size and actually allow state governments to take uh, money out of the fund and uh, use it for uh, livelihood support, for technological change, for building check dams and uh, uh, irrigation management systems, and to provide drought insurance and others to people in the ecosystem. So we are looking at a possibility that if the mindset of uh, water governance in India changes from taking and abusing and overusing a free resource to safeguarding the resource through a method of charging state governments for water use, we can already improve massively from the status quo. All right. And Nitin, how will this affect me as a resident of Bangalore or uh, Tamil Nadu? Or how will it affect people who can't pay for their water? See, first of all, we've got to realize that we are making state governments pay for extra usage of water and state governments to benefit from compensation in case they don't use the water. So the state governments are players here. Now, what the state governments do with the water policy is entirely their lookout. So there might be some states which might say, look, I want to uh, ensure that uh, my water supply in my state is sustainable, so I'll go towards a pricing model. Some other states might say, look, I want to provide uh, water as it is now, continue with the status quo, and if there is a deficit or a shortfall, I'll make it up from my budget. So it is entirely up to individual states to decide what to want to do. Now, to make it sustainable in uh, any place, the states will have to work towards some form of charging for water. Now, it makes absolutely no sense to provide water at the same subsidized rate to a rich person as to a poor person, as is the case today. So today, if you have access to Kaveri water in Bangalore and you are living in a uh, fairly good, well-off neighborhood like Jainagar in Bangalore, you are paying the same kind of water rates as is available to a poor person in a poor neighborhood of, uh, of Bangalore. It makes no sense. It's unconscionable to charge poor people and the rich people the same rate for subsidized water. So obviously people can pay more and some kind of a differentiated pricing based on a basic entitlement, which is free, uh, whatever the, you know, there are several metrics of how much does a person need 135 to 150 liters per person per day as the, as the basic quota, which should be freely available to everyone, regardless of rich or poor. But as you consume more and more water, you get uh, to pay higher and higher prices. You could also charge people on the kind of quality of water because if you want highly purified water, you could, that's a luxury service. If you want medium purified water, you can give it as a base service and untreated water available to industries and uh, factories and other things for other purposes. So it's possible to rationalize water pricing without necessarily getting into this question of will the poor, you know, there is always this fear, uncertainty and doubt created by people saying, oh, if you charge for water, the poor will be denied water. 
I think this is usually a euphemism for rich people who don't want to pay for their water. The biggest uh, opposition to paid water comes from middle class and rich people who can very easily afford to pay for the water, but cite poverty and poor people as a reason to block these things. I think we have to bite the bullet, charge people according to uh, the, the, the cost of the resource. There will be some people who are vulnerable and who need help, which governments are very adequate, uh, already well prepared to uh, address. And there are people who can afford to pay more for water and they should be made to pay more for water. All right. So, Nitin, uh, let's look at a situation, say, 10 years from now. This uh, Kaveri Water Authority has been established. What happens? So, in India, you have the monsoon season, which sort of determines everything, right? So, say you're a government of Karnataka in, say, the month of March or April. You have to decide what you want to do for the remainder of the year. You don't really know too much about how much of a monsoon you will get. You know, you don't, our forecasts are not good enough. Walk us through a year under this new regime. Yeah. The first thing which will happen is people will reorganize their economic activity according to the availability of water and the price that they'll have to pay. For example, if uh, governments know that there is a charge for overuse of water, they'll discourage farmers from planting water-intensive crops where they should not be planting. Uh, you'll have a change of cropping patterns from uh, water-intensive crops like rice and sugarcane to millets and the others, which this uh, area has been growing historically. Uh, that immediately uh, reduces water requirements. You'll also have people who will decide that they will locate their industries and their households and their uh, their economic business activities in places where water is available. They might decide to uh, use water and participate in certain industries which require water at certain times of the year and not at other times of the year. All this is... What essentially will happen is that the entire economy will naturally configure itself to a pattern which makes more sustainable use of water. Yeah, so but this means that we'll have to change our current mindset because we're so used to taking things for free from the government, whether it's at a state level or a national level. So how do you think people will react to the pricing of water? People are already paying for water. Many parts of Bangalore actually pay uh, for tanker water. Many parts of Bangalore already pay for dist uh, bisleri or uh, mineral water, which is available as drinking water. So people are already used to paying for water. What people are not used to is paying economically viable rates for the water which is supplied to them by the government. Those are state utilities. So that is a, uh, is a big change. I do not foresee a political problem arising from uh, people who are now being asked to pay for water if they are guaranteed good quality water through the year. Um, you're right, Nitin. Um, like a tanker water, you're, you're paying what? Two to ten times the cost per a liter of water compared to what you get from your tap. Right? And when it comes to these purified 25 liter bisleri cans, you're paying about 100 times sometimes of what... Uh, and people are happy to pay these numbers for quality water. Right? People want their health. People want water that tastes good and everything. But... So, it is possible to perhaps craft political narratives to say that, hey, pay more for water and we'll ensure a much better quality of supply. I think Bangalore's managed to do that in other things like our bus transport and so on, where uh, people are happy to pay for a Volvo bus because it's still better than uh, any other alternative. Yeah, I think the uh, political challenge has now been proven, uh, as you said, Karnataka in case of buses, Gujarat apparently for agricultural electricity. The choice offered to most people is, do you want free power which is unreliable or free water which is unreliable or non-existent? Or do you want to pay uh, a fee and get reliable good quality water? 
I think most people will choose opt for the 24 by 7 assured water supply, which is of a decent quality. Uh, the bigger challenge really is one of changing mindsets. Because uh, historically, people are used to water being seen as a free uh, commodity that you just go to the river or to the well and just draw water and you drink it. So there is something called an endowment effect. People are used to thinking that water ought to be free. I think the case has to be made now that in an age where we are talking about climate change, where we are talking about sustainability of resources on the planet, sustainability of human civilization, it is the time has come for us to review the, what we think about natural resources like water and find out ways to use them sustainably such that the planet continues. You know, there are horror stories of civilizations which have actually ended uh, probably because of the loss of water. In Southeast Asia and Cambodia, for example, people say the same about the Indus Valley civilization. We, we don't know for sure, but the risk that uh, civilizations can come to an end merely because people are unwilling to change their mind and pay a small fee for a vital resource, it's its a reality. It's probably going to happen. Right. In the time of Cambodia and Angkor Wat, we didn't have the technology that we do today to get water out of seawater and other things, right? So today it's become a question of cost and price because of technology. Probably that wasn't an option 800 years ago. Yeah, and if it becomes a matter of survival, people do end up uh, doing things which they might not have done. Israel, for example... Uh, in Israel, water is a matter of survival. They don't have enough water. So desalination and getting water out of the sea, purifying it and distributing it to uh, anybody who wants it is necessary. So in Israel, people have good quality water. Here it is. You're in the middle of a desert, water-scarce region, and people have 24 by 7 access to electricity. Uh, many Saudi cities apparently have a similar kind of a situation. Singapore, which is uh, which lacks natural sources of water, also has moved to a situation where they have 24 by 7 water which of very high quality. So I think the fear and the risk that we will run out of water if uh, business as usual continues has not hit the public mind as yet. The more we come to realize that we are not in any better situation than Israel or Singapore or Saudi cities, the more we realize we are in that kind of a world, I think we'll move towards the situation where people realize that we have to do something different to manage our water resources. Nitin, of course, the elephant in the room, so we were talking about household water supply, drinking water. That's still a smaller portion of the entire Kaveri water, right? The elephant in the room is getting farmers to somehow... Uh, pay for water in some manner or the other such that there is some financial incentive to conserve water right so if people switch to sugarcane and rice because you get a better um, yield at the end of the year rather than something that is more uh, conservative in its water use so how do we that's the biggest challenge to take on right yeah you know i don't think we're at a situation where we have to make farmers pay for the water it is sufficient at this point if the state governments pay for water which farmers use. Now, the, the state governments can make this water available, subsidized in a subsidized manner or give it away free. It's entirely up to the state government. But merely getting the state governments to pay for water and to benefit from savings of water will create enough political incentives for them to create further incentives for farmers to change their cropping patterns in such a way that it becomes a little more sustainable. So I think we should not expect a situation where, you know, the day after tomorrow we reach the perfect. We have to move from a status quo so to something better than the status quo and the day after to something slightly better and so forth. And within a few years, 
uh, farmers will respond to economic incentives cropping patterns will change without actually anyone having to go and uh, you know uh, coerce them to change cropping patterns a combination of good information uh, a combination of uh, costs of uh, growing agriculture when i say costs it's not necessarily financial costs but costs of doing uh, agriculture uh, agricultural support which the government can give livelihood insurance crop insurance a combination of all of this can make uh, uh, agriculture in the southern part of the country a lot more sustainable so there you have it so if another supreme court verdict comes to move the needle this way or that way give a few more tmc feet to karnataka or tamil nadu we haven't yet seen any kind of radical change in either state on how water is being used uh, as nitin shared with us if we move to a system where the states feel the pinch when they have to use a little more water then maybe we will see something radically different thanks for coming on the show nitin thank you pavan thanks samsini nice talking to you people thanks for tuning in to the pragati podcast and staying with us till the end if you want to learn more about nitin's idea on how river sharing can be transformed visit the thinkpragati.com page of this episode for more links you can send us your questions and comments in prickpats by writing in to podcast at thinkpragati.com You can also find the Pragati podcast on your favorite podcast app. We're there everywhere. As you can see, we have a podcast listener in his natural habitat. Millions of years of evolution have led him to this point. He's on his way to work and listening to podcasts makes his miserable day better. He will now head to work and use all his knowledge to communicate with other colleagues and possibly future mates. You can find more of his species on ivmpodcasts.com. Your one-stop destination where you can check out all the coolest Indian podcasts. Happy listening.